0: Hello, my name is Kelsey Corrigan, and I am a third-year radiation oncology resident at MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston, Texas. Welcome to the next episode of the Cancer Careers series that is part of the Learn Oncology podcast. The goal of today's episode is to learn more about potential career paths in radiation oncology, which we will do through interviewing attending radiation oncology physician, Dr. Dave Fuller. Dr. Fuller received his MD and PhD in human imaging at the University of Texas Health Science Center at San Antonio, Texas. He then stayed in San Antonio for his radiation oncology residency and research fellowship. He is now an associate professor in the radiation oncology department at MD Anderson, where he specializes in treating head and neck cancer, and then also leads many research projects and clinical trials about novel imaging methodologies. Without further ado, let's get started with the interview. Dr. Fuller, thank you so much for being here with us today, and we like to keep things a little light to start off with, so I'm going to ask you an icebreaker to get to know you. What is your favorite activity to do in Houston?
1: Um, so like, like all Houstonians, my, uh, my favorite activity is going out to eat. So Houston is, a, is a, like a food capital, and so uh, it's great to try new restaurants or, or go out to places and hang out with friends and uh so you know convivial imbibing and drinking is um also typically a part of the menu so so uh, that, those are my favorite things to do locally
0: that sounds great do you have a favorite restaurant or cuisine
1: yeah we we we're addicted to vintage and crawfish so now that it's crawfish season like we're we're really you know in in um in high cotton uh, in, terms of, uh, in terms of eating out. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of good Viet Cajun crawfish places locally. Um, and then um, we've really recently become really into, um, they have these uh, Korean uh, corn dogs that are really fantastic. And so we've been trying Korean corn dog places, which has been a blast.
0: That sounds delicious. I'll, I'll have to try that next. Oh, they're super good. They're super good. <laughs> awesome. All right, well now let's get started with the meat of the interview. My first question for you: What does your job look like on a clinic day?
1: So, um, so I have a very, I have a very like um, stereotypical clinic schedule, in that I do simulations in the morning on my clinic days, and the mornings are are, are interspersed with um, consultation uh, and um, sim visits. So, we kind of alternate simulation, you know, consultation. Go to sem, consult patient, go to sem, and we're fortunate enough that those two those two spaces are right next to each other. And then the afternoon is weekly C's and follow ups. So it's a it's a very um, very formulaic approach. It's very uh, um, straightforward and and, and and pretty easily schedulable in the head next, which is nice.
0: Nice, and and that sounds really cool. Do you do uh, do you see patients um, every day of the week?
1: No, no. So I'm so I'm uh, I'm. You know, one day a week in clinic, and the remainder of the time uh, is, is primarily research. I have one flex morning where I either see consults or overflow simulations. Um, but all of the weekly see and follow-up activity is concentrated on the sick day.
0: Awesome. Well, it sounds like you have a lot of really great dedicated time to focus on some cool research projects. Do you mind telling us a little bit about what your days look like uh, during your research time?
1: Yeah, so, so um, you know, I, again, I'm, I'm very fortunate. I, I, have, uh, I have a pretty developed research team and, and we run a computational or dry lab. And, um, and so there's one full day a week which is spent entirely on lab activities. So we have laboratory meetings and then individual meetings with trainees um, for an entire day. So there's one day that's just straight up lab, lab meetings and lab activities. Um, I have another full day a week, which is essentially um, project administration or um, institutional service. So committees, um, meetings about other grant projects or um, uh, uh, internal committees takes up one full day a week. I have one full day a week that is um, entirely departmental um, roles so uh I, I lead a program for the mr linac program and i lead a program for an oropharynx or oropharynx program each of those is about a half day and i combine it on one day a week so that all that all that is kind of in a big block and i have one day that again is this kind of flex day where in the mornings overflow sims or consults um, as you know as scheduled but the afternoons are are flexible for grant writing, grant administration, um, you know, project uh, work, um, supervision, etc. So that's kind of my it's kind of my typical typical schedule I like to. Um, so so it's very nice. I, I'm very fortunate. Again, you know, in the headneck service service, um, we there's there's now 11 of us, and so there's enough workload distribution that we can, you know, I really am able to have big blocks of time available for activities. So I don't have to, um, I don't have to domain switch very much. I just as a person, it's sometimes very hard for me if, you know, I'm, I'm the kind of person who if I need to write something, you know, a block of time works, I, I'm not really good at it's kind of like 15 minutes here, 15 minutes there multitasking. Um So So it, it's conducive, it's very conducive to my work.
0: Definitely. Um, and it sounds like you're involved in a lot of many different things. And I think something that can be a little mystifying for medical students is how one becomes an attendee that is able to dedicate time to research. So do you mind just telling us about how the path you took, you know, got you to where you are today? Yeah. Yeah.
1: So so I, I was super, super fortunate um, in that I bumped into radiation oncology really, really early in my medical training. So um, I, had, I had gotten into medical school in San Antonio, and they had a program where you could show up early and do research for um, uh, uh, several months before med school started. And I happened to be in this aging laboratory. So in the aging laboratory, we were trying to evaluate DNA damage, and uh, the project I was on, I had to bulk irradiate mice, um, pop their little necks, and throw them in... Um, liquid nitrogen, so that we could then assess DNA damage in standardized doses to then determine whether you could use these assays for DNA damage and aging. And um, as part of that, my mentor, this wonderful guy named Arlen Richardson, um, said, here, you should read about radiation biology, and he gave me the Eric Hall book, and I was really fascinated, I was just like, this is like the coolest thing, like there's graphs and there's, you know, sigmoid curves, it was really very interesting and um and i happened to be telling my brother-in-law that i um you know was really interested in this radiation biology you know and it was really cool and, you know i wish that there was some specialty that had this kind of stuff in it and he said well my old uh college roommate is some kind of radiation doctor you should call him up so i called up my brother-in-law's roommate a guy named jerry l barker jr he's a headneck radiation oncologist in dallas and uh, Jerry said, hey, radiation oncology is a fun career. If you like the call book, you'll probably like a lot of stuff we do. Um, run, don't walk to the Department of Radiation Oncology in San Antonio and tell them you want to do research. And he said, there's these two people I know there, Charles Thomas, who had come from University of Washington where Jerry was um, uh, at the end of residency, and a guy named David Hussey, Who's now passed away, but was the former chair at Iowa, which is where Jerry started his training. So I walked in with this, like you know, you know, email recommendation from Jerry Barker. It was like, hey, I would like to do research, and um, Charles has been my mentor ever since. Um, so even before I met, you know, even before I met uh, uh, anybody else in medicine, I met Charles Thomas and David Hussey, and Dave, Charles has been there now. You know, gosh, twenty three years later. Um, and David was, was a a really amazing mentor. until he passed, um, uh, uh, in, um, uh, 2014, but, um, you know, so, so I, I was very fortunate. I just kind of stumbled into it in, in 1999, you know, radiation oncology, IMRT wasn't, um, you know, widespread. It was a really kind of exciting time in the field. There was this enormous kind of optimism about, um, the studies on chemo radiation interaction were just coming out, like chemo radiotherapy was, was really taking off. And so I just kind of, you know, stumbled into it at this very early period. But then I also had these two, um, you know, amazing mentors who, um, who, who were able to kind of help me template what it meant to be an academic radiation oncologist. And then um, the summer after my second year in, in 20, uh, 2000, in 2000, there, yeah. Two, so so in, in 2001 or two Jerry was a fellow here at MD Anderson. And he said, Hey, you should come to MD Anderson and, and do a research summer. So I followed Jerry again. And while I was here, he said, There's this you know, new faculty member, this guy named David Rosenthal. You should work with David. And then David's been my mentor now for 20 years. So, so very early on, I had these you know, kind of people I was really trying to emulate. And so all of my academic career since that time has really been built on their advice, their mentorship saying, okay, you know, how would, how would, you, um, how would you like to have your career go and then helping me figure out how to do that. So, so I was real, I was exceptionally lucky in, in, in every respect in that, in that way. That's a long answer, but that's lucky. <laughs>
0: That's, that's awesome, um, and I'm, I'm glad you ran into so many great mentors, and it sounds like they kind of led you on the path that fit well with the passions that you had in imaging research, so could you just tell us a little bit about some of the projects you're working on?
1: Yeah, yeah, so um, uh, uh, what the, uh, most of my work now is focused on um, MR-guided radio. So, so my PhD was in, it was in imaging, uh, uh, human imaging techniques. It, uh, in radiological sciences, but it was imaging physics curriculum. And um, so my thesis work was primarily on the effects of um, human computer interfaces and multimodality imaging on target delineation. Uh, so when I, but when I came to MD Anderson, uh, I showed up and they said, hey, you've got a PhD in imaging. Um, we just bought this MR-Linac device. How would you like to help us figure out how to use this? Thing? And so that really became the genesis of the a, of a focus for the last 10 years um, on, um, on MR guided radiotherapy. therapy.
0: And, and again,
1: I was really fortunate after I came on as faculty, um, they had a K award program that I was able to do for, for a couple of years where I had protected time to focus and, and I did a, um, a fellowship in clinical trials and imaging informatics. And that kind of opened up a whole new area. So, Imaging with MRI, MR guided therapy is kind of the main thrust of one half of the lab, and the other half of the lab is really imaging informatics, uh, and 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 that's um, which is which is a lot of fun. Um, and then in the course of that two year fellowship, um, I'm I'm board certified by the American Board of Preventive Medicine in Clinical Informatics. So I'm a radiation oncologist, but I'm also a clinical informatician, and that kind of has opened up a lot of exciting. You know, researching clinical avenues because um, thinking about things as a, as a you know, physician, radiation oncologist, you know, head and neck uh, um, uh, person, and then having this other imaging and informatics component really provides a lot of different exciting things to, to, to play around with.
0: Yeah, that's that's really cool. I think that it sounds like entering the field of radiation oncology for you really helped fulfill both your career goals and your passions. So that's really great that you were able to find that in this field.
1: Well, and they kind of they kind of develop organically, right? So, you know, when I entered when I entered medical school, I had no idea that radiation oncology existed as a field, right? And I had no idea that you could do imaging research or anything like that. So it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like I entered fully formed. But what I also found was I, I was able to um, engage with mentors who encouraged me um, uh, to find a passion in areas that were mine, not necessarily theirs. So, you know, Charles is a clinical trials guy. David is a clinical trials guy. Neither of them were imaging people, but they were all super encouraging when I would say, hey, you know, I'm really interested in this imaging thing. Should I get a PhD in it? They were like, yeah, you should go for it if that's what you're wanting to do. And then when I was like, man, I, you know. I'm thinking about doing this informatics thing. Is that totally stupid? And they were like, no, that's great. Like you should, you could find a way to do that. Let's figure out how that could be done. So I've always been facilitated by people who were exceptionally encouraging and saying, you have this capacity to create a path that is yours. um, And we can provide the resources we have to help you facilitate that. And and, and I think that, that has allowed that thing to kind of grow organically. Um, in a way that it's very different than I would have ever thought when I was, you know, you know I, I had no aspirations of being an informaticist when I finished my PhD. I didn't, you know, I didn't even know that existed, right? So these opportunities have really been, been facilitated by very caring people who, who were able to risk um, resources and sponsorship and all the things that kind of go along with that.
0: Definitely. Um, and what would you say is your favorite part of your job?
1: Ah, my favorite, my favorite part of the job, uh, honestly, is I have I have phenomenally fun coworkers and trainees, right? Like I have just, you know, um, I have I have a, a, you know, our headnet group is a is a really wonderful group of folks, and um, I, I really treasure um, you know the mentorship and the friendship I, I have with the guys and, and gals on the headnet team. Like they're just phenomenal. And um, and that's been that's been really meaningful to me. But even outside of that, I'm very fortunate because outside of our department, I have a couple of collaborators: um, Kate Hutchison, Stephen Lai, Christy Brock, in our in our institution, who um, are just phenomenal scientists, but also really fun people um, to to work with. And so that that kind of um, you know, exciting collaboration with your your colleagues is really great. But then I also have this constant stream of really stellar uh, trainees. For the last 10 years, my lab with uh, Adela Muhammad, who's um, a a really incredible friend and colleague, and I have have built a lab together. And over the years, we've had a lot of really great trainees. And so there's this kind of constant, um, you know, innovation coming in from these really bright young people that are just kind of constantly challenging you to think about things in new ways. And, and, uh, and I find that incredibly good.
0: I agree with you. And I think mentorship is incredibly important for anyone's career development. And in your opinion, in radiation oncology specifically, why is mentorship and networking so important?
1: Well I think, I think at one level, you know, for those of us who are physician scientists, it's almost impossible to overstate how powerful those effects are Um, it is it is like to be to be upfront to have success in academic radiation oncology or academic medicine generally it really is incredibly helpful to have someone who can help you understand what that career path requires who can help you navigate um, the challenges and the the roadblocks right Um, I think that's especially important because those opportunities are not necessarily evenly distributed. And one of the things is, you know, the um, there's a. it's often described as kind of like a hidden curriculum of academia, um, where these processes are passed through in covert ways or you're kind of made to assume things that are opaque. But if you have somebody who opens up books and says, well, here's exactly how, you know, here's exactly how you should think about trying to get an academic job. Here's exactly what it's going to be required for you to be competitive for a K award. Here's what you're going to need for your first NIH grant application. Here's what you do when that grant application is brutally rejected, (laughs) you know? Um, And then you need somebody who is going to kind of like hold on with some solidity to help you when you're discouraged, right? Because that path is often full of roadblocks or complications or failure or, you know, trauma. And you need somebody who's gonna say, you know, okay, you didn't get the K award, but you should still believe in yourself as having capacity to be you know, effective. Or, you know, okay, you didn't get that job, but here's how we're gonna help you try and figure out how to get the next one. And I think that, that it is a huge unmet need in our field. Um, if we expect people to get into academia and be effective, um, we really need to be, work hard to provide those resources in a much more uniform and equitable way. Um, some people are very fortunate like me and very lucky and very privileged, but not everybody gets that kind of, um, that kind of support or backing. And, and, and I think that that's something that, that's important to realize and important to seek out if you can and important for us to offer.
0: Absolutely. And what advice do you have for seeking that out or for finding a mentor in radiation oncology?
1: Um, yeah, so, so um, what I would say is that the, the, the first thing to do is query the people who are available locally to you and see who they have had positive experiences with, right? So, I mean, my entire career is because I, my brother-in-law's roommate had happened to be a, <laughs> a, good, a good and well-connected guy, right? Um, but if you find yourself in a space, and uh, our field is surprisingly... Um, Willing to embrace people they don't know who reach out, right? So I'll give you a good example. So when I was, when I was working on my thesis, um, my thesis advisors all left the institution. I was left without anybody locally who was really knowledgeable in target delineation. And so I was like, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, I need to start over. Like, this is a big problem. And um, Charles said, well, who's the best in the world at this target delineation thing you're interested in? I was like, well, there's these guys in the Netherlands, and they write the best papers, like they're just the bee's knees. And he said, why don't you email them and see if you can do part of your thesis with them? And so I emailed them, and I was like, hey, you know, I'm from Texas. I'd like to come visit and do part of my thesis with you guys in the Netherlands. And they were like, great, when, you, when you, can you come over, right? And so Kuhn Rash at the Netherlands Cancer Institute has, has been now a mentor for, you know, more than a decade, you know, and Roll Steinbockers is now croning in. Um, uh, and Jasper and camp and Jan Jankosanka, Um these guys have, have really been friends and mentors of mine ever since. Um, our field is like that. I, I routinely have, have you know, had people reach out and um, uh, to, to other faculty who they've never met and those faculty are very responsive. So one of the good things about our field is we have a fairly high density, I believe, at least in my experience, of people who are very generative and very willing to interact. So. First thing I would say is don't be scared to cold email anybody who's doing something interesting in your field. And if they don't email your back, they may just be really busy. Um, but the, but it's, it's pretty rare that you get much negative you know, response from that, right? Um, but I would also say locally, find the people who are local and find who they know who they've had positive experience. That's the best place to start. And then, you know, at least for me, from there, it kind of went
0: organically. I- Totally agree with what you're saying. I was on an airplane a few weeks ago and the person next to me tapped me on the shoulder and was like, are you a radiation oncologist? Because he saw a manuscript I was working on and we ended up chatting for the whole flight about some of the trials that had just come up, come out. Uh, So I totally agree that, you know, people in our field are very approachable. Um, So to not be afraid of that cold email, even though it's a little intimidating.
1: Well, and I, I, one thing, again, because we're a smallish field, um, like the kind, generative, mentory people all seem to know each other. And so, <laughs> and so weirdly, if you can find one of them. You can typically find like a pack of them, um, which, I, which I think is good. I also think because we're a small field, one thing that, that is helpful that I didn't realize at the time, so, so being in San Antonio, which was you know a smaller program, um, I, I was um, lucky to have connections, uh, again, through Jerry or through the Dutch folks, uh, or through Charles, that were outside of my local environment. And so I would say for radiation oncology folks, which is different than other areas of medicine, because we're a small field and our local programs can be tiny, if you can, reach out outside your local program and build relationships or connections academically, because that can be very helpful in an ecosystem like ours, um, especially if you're looking at competitive academic jobs.
0: Awesome, well, I totally agree. And you know, thank you so much for chatting with us today. I think your perspectives are very valuable, both in telling us how you got to where you are today and also underscoring the importance of mentorship and networking in our field. I have one last question for you. Do you have any last words or pieces of, pieces of advice for our listeners?
1: Yeah, I I would say that that one of the most important things you can do as you enter any field of medicine, but certainly think in radiation oncology. Um, Our field is undergoing significant um, dynamic changes in every area, right? Whether it's fractionation, imaging, flash, biology, um, the field as it looks today will not be how the field looks when you um, you graduate um, several, several years from now. Um, the dynamics of, of reimbursement are always something that are in a very variable state, depending on what administration is in charge. So it becomes very important for people who are entering a field and are interested to define what it is that is core about that field that is their thing that they're passionate about, right? and then to optimize their career path to achieve that, right? So if your goal is, um, you know, I want to be a clinical physician of a, of a, at a very high level, and I want to do clinical activities, there are career paths that are, that are very capable of doing that. But you want to find people who are doing things like the thing you're doing to help guide you and in, in, in learn from their, from their path. In academia, the, 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 the same is true. And I think we, we sometimes do people a disservice because we're not overt about the fact that there are different kinds of jobs in radiation oncology in the past that lead to those jobs look very different, right? You cannot wake up at the end of residency and say, well, you know, I'd really like to um, spend, you know, um, uh, all my time in the lab, but I've never been in the lab, right? And likewise you you can't say well i'd really like to be you know a clinical trialist but i've never really spent any time thinking about clinical trials right those processes the more deliberate you can be early on the more effective you can be at at moving yourself um towards those goals um and and, and i do think that 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 it's imperative that we kind of start those conversations early and we start those conversations um in in ways that are um, effective and overt. so I would just say that that you know my recommendation to people is be thoughtful about, you know, introspectively what it is that you're that you're looking for as you enter a field, because, um, you know, it's it, uh, it, it's not something that is, um, you know, going to be, um, uh, you know, necessarily scalable across all opportunity spaces.
0: Well, thank you very much, Dr. Fuller. It's always a pleasure. All right. Thanks.
1: Appreciate it, Dr. Corgan.